0: Amen. Well, thank you so much, Matt and team. Grateful for your ministry. Welcome, everybody, to Current. My name is David. Uh, this was another hard week with the shootings in Boulder, Colorado, after the shootings the week before in Atlanta. A lot of grieving going on right now. Our hearts are breaking. It just feels like our society's un- unraveling. Lots of pain, lots of suffering. Well, today we conclude our series, Onward, through Hebrews. We've been looking through chapters 11 through 13. Today we're in 12. We're concluding, yes, yes in 12, there in the middle. Considering one last time how we can endure in the face of suffering. And here's the big thought today that the Hebrews author is putting in front of us. That Christ followers can face suffering understanding that God's working good in it and through it. That when we face suffering, when we suffer, there's good there. Now, real quickly, the Bible is very holistic in its approach towards suffering. It it, it in no way says, so therefore you should not mourn or grieve. No, we are called to grieve suffering. We are called to mourn. In fact, Jesus wept when he was just getting ready to raise somebody to life. He was weeping the, the suffering that he was there, witnessing the pain that even he was getting ready to fix and deal with. We are called to grieve and mourn, even as we're called to fight against the suffering of the world and and, and bring God's light and love and justice and mercies to bear on the suffering of the world. And yet underneath it all, the Christ follower can understand and live from this profound thought that when we face suffering, God is working for good in the midst of it. I don't know about you, but I imagine many of you, as you hear that, you're like me, and you, you probably are balking at that. <laughs> suffering is good for me. It's hard to swallow. We're going to talk about that. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's so helpful. And then maybe if you're thinking, oh, David, I get that. You know, I understand that suffering is good for, for the person who follows Jesus. I would just say, to, to you especially, lean in today, because understand that the Hebrews author here was writing to a group of very strong and mature Christians, Christians who themselves were facing suffering far worse than anything you or I facing today. In fact, they were just about to the point of starting to be killed for their faith, martyred. They're not yet there. And you see that in, in the, the second verse that we're going to read today. They're, they're almost there, not quite there, but they're they being put in jail for their faith. They were being mistreated for their faith. And yet, what does the author say here? In verse five, he says, have you completely forgotten in other words, even Christians who've been following God and understand His truths really well can easily, like, yeah, in a way, know that suffering is good for us, but then another thing to really know it when it strikes and live from it. So today we're going to consider four things that we need to remember or understand in the face of suffering to help us endure through it all. We're going to look at four way, four things that we need to remember uh, as we face suffering in order to endure through it. So first, let me pray, and then we'll read the text and get into the teaching. Father, uh, this is a heavy topic uh, to consider suffering. And so we don't we don't enter into it lightly. In fact, we especially ask for your spirit to meet us in this space. As we look at your word, would you speak to us? I want to especially pray for those who are feeling the intensity of suffering right now, whether it's personally, whether it's they, as they read the news or or or, or the people out there in Boulder, Colorado, the loved ones of people who've been shot or in the same, true of people in Atlanta. Lord, these aren't academic issues for them, for us, but real uh, painful things to consider. And yet those are the spaces in which you meet us and love us and care for us. So Father, would you through your spirit teach us today what you have in front of us? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today's text is from Hebrews chapter 12. We're we'll looking at verses 3 through 13. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. All right, four things that we need to remember in order to help us endure through suffering. Number one, we need to remember God cares. When we're facing suffering, we need to remember that God cares. Look again at verse 11. It says that all discipline or trouble or pain is not pleasant at the time, of course, but later on produces a harvest for those who, quote, have been trained by it. That Greek word is the Greek word gymnazo, which is what we, where we get our English word for gymnasium. It's saying God cares for us in this sense, like a trainer. God is your trainer or your coach, if if you will. And what do, what do a good trainer or coach do for us but push us, right? Stretch us, make us grow. If we show up at the gym and our trainer just has us do what we've only ever done the way we've only ever done it, what change, what growth is going to occur? Instead, they're pushing us, right? They're trying to get our heart rates up. They're trying to get us sweating. They're trying to get our muscles tiring so that we are getting stronger throughout the process. When I was a freshman in high school there in Albany, up there in the East Bay, I I played on the JV basketball team. And what you need to know uh, for this illustration is the fact that Albany is nestled between just a ton of powerhouses in the basketball playing world. I mean, there's just some incredible basketball high schools up there. If you've seen the movie, Coach Carter, uh, you know that that school is in Richmond. They were in our division. And they weren't even one of the best teams. Some years they were the best team, but but year in, year out, they weren't ju- one of the best teams. Uh, there was one year where two schools in our division won state. Now, if you're thinking, how is that possible? I thought only one school could win state for any given division in any given year. You'd be right, except that in our league, there was one team that was so good, they opted to play in a higher division, meaning against bigger schools, and they won state in that higher division. And then, Another school in our same division won it for our division. Two schools won hey, in the same year. It's just like, and and there there was little Albany High School, with its focus on academics, trying to pretend to compete. I mean, it was just it was just silly. I remember the the first day of practice after we made the team, the coach pulled us all aside and said, all right, guys, I'm just gonna be real with you, okay? You are essentially grasshoppers among giants here. I mean, we all know the schools around us. We all know that they are incredibly talented and we are not. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna try our absolute best to get as good of shape as possible. I'm gonna train you harder than you've ever been trained before so that maybe we can compete. And I'll tell you what, that season, I have never been more tired in my life. That coach ran us to the ground. We were running what's known as lines, which is basically 16 times and back across the full court and then eight and then then four, and then two, all in a certain time limit. And if you, anyone on the team didn't do it in that time limit, you had to do it again. We'd run lines for more than half of most practices. Sometimes the full practice. We wouldn't even pick up a basketball, dribble it, shoot it. We'd just be running. It was crazy. So tired. We got to the place. Some of these guys would throw up and all the rest. Anyways, I won't share any more details. It was, it was intense. But then we got to the first game. And it was it was pretty incredible. We went against you know these teams. And you know, when you face any team, they're gonna be in shape, right? There's no bad coach out there that would have their team go to the first game that's not already in shape. But we were really in shape. We were, I mean, so we were just running the teams tired. We were doing full court press, not just for a short period of time, but for like full-blown quarters, and we could keep our starters in there for a lot longer and it was incredible. It's like, okay, wow, it did pay off. Now I'd love to tell you as a part of the conclusion of the story that we went on to like win, you know, our, the title that year, no, no. I will say though that we won more than half our games of which I just am, I, I think is a miracle in that league. So I'll, I'll take it. The other thing about this story that I think is related to what we're considering today is that at the end of that season, uh, baseball would start. So I played basketball and baseball and baseball would start, the conditioning of baseball would start just before basketball ended. So I kind of joined up with the baseball team in the middle of conditioning. And I remember the baseball coach said, all right, everybody go give me two miles. And everybody on the baseball team, they're baseball players, right? They just choose sunflower seeds and hit a ball and stand around all day. When they heard that they had to run two miles, they're like, no way, you gotta be kidding. This is gonna be terrible. But for the first time in my life, i just come off that season of the basketball, I'm like, two miles? Ain't no thing. Just went and ran that, and it was incredible. I was like, man, that's the first time I've looked at running two miles at a quick time as nothing. God cares for us like a trainer. And when we go through hard times, when we face suffering, part of what he does in the midst of that is train us, strengthens us, helps reveal character flaws to us. Now, I need to say, because we gotta be careful here, that what we're not saying here is whenever we face hardship or suffering, it's because of a direct result necessarily of what we have done to bring it about, right? Jesus himself and other places in scripture say that just because we are suffering doesn't mean we necessarily brought that suffering upon ourselves. Even as, yes, I think we all understand, sometimes we do bring suffering upon ourselves. Regardless of how it comes, about, uh, com- comes upon us, the point is clear, God uses it to help us, to train us, to help us become more holy, to, to grow in righteousness, it says in our text, to gain peace. He trains us, he stretches us, he, he, he builds us, helps us grow. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, verse 11 says, there was a time in my life that just got really hard for a really long, sustained time. We're talking weeks, months, and months of just physical pain, emotional pain, tons of stress, tons of pressure, just a really hard season in my life where I just felt like I was just walking around clenched fists and just doing all that I could just to get by each day. I'd go on a lot of prayer walks because I just didn't know what else to do, but just cry out to God. I would just pray things like, God, please deliver me. Please help. Please make the pain go away. Well, I remember one time in in the midst of all that, after it had been going on for a while, I had to excuse myself one day, leave the house to go on a walk, just to clear my brain. And I just was on this walk just praying. The same prayers I had been praying. God, would you please deliver me? Help me. Make it stop. Make the pain go away. But then I'll never forget, halfway through this walk, I walked into this little park. There's nobody around. There's a little school over there. I remember, I remember where I was. And I was just teary-eyed and just, just really raw. And I just had a moment where I was like, you know, God, maybe I've been looking at this all wrong. And as I was praying this, it's not like I wanted to necessarily just be praying this. It was, just, it was, it was a wrestle. I said, maybe I've been looking at this all wrong. Maybe I need to look and understand how you might be in the midst of all this pain, working it for good. And then the tears just started coming down. Not like I was planning any of this, or they just started coming down. And I found myself having trouble praying a, a prayer. And it, which is kind of funny because I wasn't praying out loud. This was all just in my spirit. And still I couldn't like get it out. But you know, it was all coming coming down. It's just it was just really painful. I said, and God, if there's Something you need me to walk through that's even more painful. If if it's, if it's something that I need to endure for the sake of you doing your good in my life, then as much as I don't want that, and I confess I don't want that, I just want to trust you. And I would like to say that after that moment, circumstances became easier and better. Uh, they did not. But you know what? In a far greater way, in a far way that meant so much more to me, not only then, but as I even look back now, God helped me release so many things in that moment. Again, it's not to say that everything became crystal clear and happy and easy at that point onward. But from the inside out, the Lord helped me see that I can that I could trust him even when I don't understand or don't know how it was going to work out. And I look back to that day still. I, I can't give you a bullet point point you know, list of, this, and this is what he taught me, this is how he trained me, and this is how I grew in that situation. But I can't point to a number of things that I have, and it's definitely a marker in my life where it's just like, okay, Lord, you, you helped me understand something there, gave me a peace, which I'm so grateful, even in spite of myself, even as I didn't want to pray it. The Lord trains us. The Lord uses hardship to mold us into himself. Even if we kind of do it kicking and streaming, he wants to train us to, to make us stronger, make us more like himself. When hard times hit, we can endure them by remembering that God cares. First, that he's, a, he's our trainer, but then second, that, he, that he's our father. Of course, that really comes across in this text. Verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. That word uh, discipline is where we get our English word pediatrics. Of course, it's saying here that God wants to help us grow and mature like fathers. And of course, mothers want their children to mature and grow. Our kids recently got into watching our planet or planet earth. I don't know which one, but I was walking past, uh, you know, through the living room one day as they were watching this. And I I, rem- I was reminded of a segment that really stood out to me years ago when I first saw it. And I, w- I wonder if you saw the segment, but it was, it was basically talking about, excuse me, how, uh, of all the living creatures in the world, of all living things, uh, human beings, human babies are the most dependent on their parents. Like when they first come out, like they just are so and utterly dependent on mommy and daddy to take care of them. I mean, we, we got a, a little dog, a little little puppy during uh, this pandemic. He's been such a source of joy to us. But I mean, he came out and he, you know, he's walking around. He can figure out how to get himself fed. And Cindy and the kids have done an awesome job training him. So now he's like potty trained. Such to the point that the other day I was asking he's like, is he technically a puppy anymore? I didn't know. I was just kind of asking the question. He's like, he's not even a year old. Of course he's still a puppy. I was like, it's incredible how, like, you know, he's just a mature little dog and he's not even a year old. But, you know, you ask many of these uh, mommies and daddies right now, newborn, uh, newborn kids and current, right? You know, it's like at one years old, the kid still needs quite a bit of care. In fact, we all know this, kids need a lot of care, a lot of help, and parents really have their hands full trying to help them grow in, in character and, and maturity to make decisions on their own in life. And what verse 10 tells us is that while a good earthly dad dis- disciplines as best as best he can, he won't always get it right, but God will. And boy, I identify with that. Even as I, you know, ask the Lord to help me be a good dad, I, I recognize that I regularly don't Get this part right. I mean, for for one thing, sometimes I will discipline my kids, not for the best of intentions, not for the right reasons. Like I'll just, I'll be disciplining them just because really I'm, I'm not thinking about their character so much. I'm just, it's just because I'm annoyed, right? Or I'm just, I'm impatient or whatever it might be. Or maybe I don't discipline well in, in terms of the form of it. I, I either discipline too harshly and it's too much. It doesn't do good. It kind of, if anything, makes things worse. Or, or maybe I discipline too little. And then it's like, well, what actually result of that answer? Nothing. And then there's the fact that if you, you have a couple of kids, you know, discipline needs to look differently for, for, for each different kid. For instance, you know, we'll we'll say to our kids, "Hey, if you don't do that, you know, or, or you don't stop doing that, you're going to lose screen time." And to one of our kids, they'll say, "Okay, la la la, no problem." But to the other kid, we say, "Hey, you better stop that, or you're going to lose some screen time." It's like, "No, <laughs> it's like the world ending. No, don't don't take away screen time. Just you know, you can amputate my arm if you didn't. don't do that." But God loves us as, as our perfect Father. He knows what we're able to handle. And you, you know, 1 Corinthians uh, 10 puts it this way. He won't give us, when we're tested, when, we're, when we face a trial, which is the Greek word there, he will not give us anything more than we can bear. Like he knows us and he knows what we need. He wants to shape us. When we endure hardship, we can endure it as discipline because God is treating us as his children, as his legitimate children, which is a profound thought. He allows suffering into our life precisely because he loves us and wants to use it to help form us in ways that we would otherwise not be formed. I mean, that's really the thought, right, that the Hebrews author is saying here, is that suffering is, is painful, discipline is painful, but it, it's, it's for our good. And just like a little kid is never gonna like being disciplined or going through something hard, I mean, I've never had my, any, either of my kids come up and be like, Daddy, you know, when you disciplined me, that was great, that was wonderful. Good job. I mean, how much more so are we going to not feel that way towards God when it happens? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Yes. But it's good to remember that when we face suffering, that God cares. He cares as our trainer. He cares as our Father. Secondly, when we're going through heart uh, suffering, we can we can endure it when we remember God's word. Look again at verse five. It says, "And." Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, quoting Proverbs 3, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. I love how the Hebrews author here, as he talks about discipline, (laughs) he he describes it as a word of encouragement. (laughs) Do you see that as a word of encouragement? Hebrews writer is saying we we ought to see it as a word of encouragement. And specifically, he's kind of drawing out two thoughts here uh, from this Proverbs 3 text that he's quoting. The two thoughts we can pull out is he's saying that on the one hand, uh, first of all, we need to understand that God is sovereign. In other words, that he's in control. And the second thing we need to understand is that he's loving. God's in control and he is loving, which is really key because those are the two questions I think most of us, at least when we come to God, are the questions we bring. God can you do anything and will you do anything? And the answer is, absolutely is he in control and absolutely does he care? Even if it's not gonna turn out in the way that we would hope it to do. And what the Hebrews author is helping us see is God's word is a place we can go to to be encouraged in this sense. Because when you look at the scriptures, you see that they are filled of real people facing real problems and struggling through them in real ways. What's incredible is you don't see all these stories of God just coming and saying, oh, you're suffering? Let me pluck you out. Or over your suffering? I don't care. But he meets each and every person in in a nuanced way, just as he meets each and every person today in a nuanced way, but always in control and always loving, even if it's not the way that we would write it ourselves. The classic place to go in the Scriptures for understanding suffering is, of course, the book of Job. And the story of Job goes something like this. Satan showed up to God and said, hey, look look down there. You see Job? You see how he loves you and he worships you and he sacrifices to you? He only does that because you bless him, because you've given him all those comforts and, and luxuries. You take the, all that away and he'll, he'll curse you. You watch. And God says, okay, you can, you can take that away. And suffering came into Job's life and he wrestled. And in the end, Job comes out strong, and he endured. But along the way, it's incredible, Job actually realizes that he had been living not for God, but for the things God had been giving him. Job wrestles and understands that he had been going to God as a means to an end, and not for him himself. So therefore, Job recognized that he had been living a superficial and shallow life towards God, but in the end, he came out with an entire with his entire life changed understanding fundamentally that God is in control and God is good even as Job didn't didn't know how it all work out the hebrews writer is real about this he says everyone undergoes discipline it's it's in the cards for all of us i i, I tend to think that half the half the amount of suffering that we feel and 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 face is the fact that we're just shocked by the suffering we're facing, right? When it comes to the pain of suffering, it feels like half of it is just the fact that we're shocked by the fact that we're suffering. I was listening to a global Christian apologist and preacher once share that he goes around all over the, the world, and at the end of every talk that he gives, he'll do a and a time, and because he's he's basically talking to rooms filled with people who do not identify as Christian. People will bring their questions, bring their objections. And he said, without fail, when I go to any Christian uh, country and just share, he said, without fail, the number one question I'm always asked, more than any other question is, how could there be a good God if there's all pain and suffering in the world? He said, without fail, that's by far and away the question I'm asked the most in Western countries. He said, but then I'll go to other parts of the world, parts of the world which comparatively speaking, are, are suffering way more than people in the West. And he said, and that question will rarely, if ever, come up. He said, he will get it from time to time, but really, once in a blue moon. And he was just thinking about that. He said, I can't help but think it's because Westerners have just become so accustomed and, and, and have such a sense of entitlement to a comfortable life, an easy life, a life of luxury. And so when suffering comes along, they're really taken aback by it. But so much of the world, he said, is just understands what the Hebrews writer is saying. Everybody goes through suffering. Everybody gets that. I mean, it's just a part of life. And one of the things the scriptures does, especially as we think about it from a Western culture, is help us understand that suffering is a part of life. We live in a broken world, but God meets us there. To not be shocked by it, but when it happens to understand that God cares. Remember that God cares and is working for good in the midst of it. The second thought we need to remember is that is, is, is God's word. And the, and the third thought, excuse me, is that is to see God's purposes. We need to remember God's, that God cares. We need to remember that God's word. And then we need to remember God's purposes in it all. Look at verse 10, it says, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Uh, This is to say, we've touched on this before, but that God uses hardship to mold us increasingly into his likeness, to make us more and more like him, to strengthen our resolve, our character, our confidence in him. But then there's another purpose that we see here in verse 12 in our suffering. It says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may, be disabled, may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is saying that we need to take heart in suffering, that we need to press through so that we may be able to help others in their suffering as well. Every commentator I read this week said that the Hebrews writer here is undoubtedly speaking to Christians looking to help other Christians who are suffering. That when you yourself as a Christian have gone through suffering and you've, by God's grace, made it through to then look around you and help others who may be suffering around you to help them. And we understand the power behind this. It's that when we suffer, we come out of it. If and when we do come out of it stronger, hopefully, and if and when we do come out stronger, it enables us, it empowers us, it equips us to be able to help those around us. A good friend at current uh, had to leave a few, uh, just a, a little over a year ago, right before the pandemic, uh, moved to the East Coast. Uh, part of his story was that he had been, um, he had gone through about with cancer, such even to the point where it almost took his life. Doctors were saying it'd be miraculous if he, he made it through. Well, by God's grace, he, he made it through. And he was telling me this. I got to meet him after that time. Young guy. It's not like, you know, you would have thought he had been through this. But he said, yeah, like going through that, it completely changed my life. It helped me learn things and have different perspectives. I just, I nowhere had before any of that. So for one thing, it helped me just learn to not take life for granted as much. But he said, for another, it helped me just have a, a, a real sense of empathy for other people. I mean, it's not like, he said, I was heartless before, but now it's just like when people are suffering or going through a hard time, my heart just is like, you know, grieving and just wanting to be in it with them. Like, I just have so much more empathy now. And he said, it's crazy. He said, like before all that happened, uh, you know, my life was one way, but now after all this happened, for whatever reason, people will come up to me and just start sharing all their life's burdens and pains and it'll just, they'll just start coming out naturally. And, and, and a good chunk of the time, these people who are now sharing with me these, you know, life hardships that they faced will have not known that I had gone through hardship myself. Like they never came to me before, but now they will. It's like something just changed such that people somehow recognize that I can be a person they could share it with. And I just every time that happens, and it happens all the time now, every time it happens, I just want to be in a place where I'm able to impart some of God's love to them. And say that, yeah, I got through because of God's help, and you can too. We're called when we get through suffering to help others because God, as part of the suffering, strengthens us to strengthen. Others, empowers us to empower others. So what's the takeaway here? As we've considered now three things that we need to remember to help us endure in the face of suffering. I mean, on the one level, when we think about the takeaway in any sermon, the first thought we should have is, Lord, what what might you want me to take away? And, you know, ask, ask him and his spirit will speak to you. Often share, hey, I want you to think about this. But it seems to me what the Hebrews author here is saying is, We need to choose to suffer well. Because it seems to me that there really are two ways, two directions that suffering can take us. It can take us down the road of hardening our hearts, embittering us, either towards the Lord or others, or maybe even towards our own selves. It can just make us upset, angry, and just embitter us, harden our hearts. Or it can soften our hearts, create more patience in us. Uh, Make us more loving. That's why the Hebrews author is really driving home these thoughts. Endure hardship as discipline. uh, Strengthen your feeble arms and weakness. And listen to this in verse 9. Submit to the Father of lights, Father of spirits, and live. He's saying, humble your hearts. Don't don't let suffering take you in a direction of, of hardening your heart. Allow it to soften you. In other words, choose to the extent you can. To lean in and say, okay, Lord, I just I just need your help. I'm not great at this, but I need your help. And I just I want it to, if anything, mold me into increasingly your likeness and not away from you. One last thought, which is really the 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 main thing we need to remember here, is we need to remember God cares. We need to remember his word, we remember his purposes, but most of all, we need to remember Jesus and what Jesus did for us, of course. Because verse 3 says, consider him, that is Jesus, who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I mean, if nothing else, what Jesus has done for us on the cross helps us understand that even if we have a hard time remembering or leaning into the fact that God cares or looking to his word for encouragement or understanding the purposes that he may, even if we don't do a great job of that, what remembering Jesus helps us understand is that He still holds us even when we're having a hard time holding on to Him. We can endure because He endured for us. And here we are at the start of Holy Week, the start of Easter week, Palm Sunday. Friday is Good Friday, a day we remember that Jesus went on the cross to suffer for us. The gospel or good news of Jesus is that He left heaven to come to suffer on our behalf. He didn't just endure discipline. I mean, Jesus is perfect, sinless, but on the cross, he suffered for us, and his suffering was taking our punishment. It wasn't enduring discipline, it was enduring our punishment, The, the punishment that we deserve for rejecting God, for disobeying him and living our own separate ways, Jesus endured the punishment, our suffering, such that our suffering is now turned to good. It's no longer punishment because Jesus dealt with that. It's now been turned into discipline and good. So while we continue to grieve suffering, while we continue to mourn it and fight against it and bring God's light to bear upon it, bring justice and mercy to the suffering in the world, we can ultimately see underneath it all because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that it no longer is just a bad thing. But even the bad, even the ugly is going to be turned to good and beauty. And even that which was taking life is going to only impart life. And God wants to use you and me, current family, in our suffering and through our suffering and out of our suffering to mold us into his likeness and to help others see and receive his love as well. And if you're joining us here today and you've never received Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, the promise is, as it says in John one twelve, to all who believe on his name, to all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. He wants to receive you as his child. He wants to be your heavenly father. And the prayer of, of that sort goes something like this. Father, I want to receive what Jesus did for me on the cross, how he died for my sins. I receive that forgiveness, not based on anything I can do, but just based on what you've done. And today I want to commit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Amen. And if that's you, and you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, would you let us know? We'd love to come alongside you, encourage you, maybe give you a resource or two to help you in, in your journey. But to everybody... Whether you've received Jesus today or you've been a follower for for many years, how can you remember God cares for you? How can you go to his word for encouragement? How can you look to the purposes he may be shaping and molding in you and and through you? And most of all, how can you remember Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we just so thank you that uh, you don't call us to suffering without having suffered yourself and on our behalf. Uh, Suffering is not something foreign to you it is not something even beneath you but it's something you experience an even greater degree than any of us ever can or or will ever experience such that when we face suffering it's no longer purely bad we do grieve it we do want to you know uh, fight against the suffering in this world but at the same time we also recognize that you're doing you're bringing beauty out of it all and so father would you help us in the midst of suffering draw near to you and even when that's hard. Receive the forgiveness and love and grace and, uh, that you give us through Jesus and what he's done for us. We love you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's continue this time of worship now through song.